Good morning to those already joining us. It's a fun experience um, when I'm an officiant to see the quickly growing list of uh, attendees and participants, and it's uh, it's a wonderful experience. So nice to see everyone joining. Um, please say hello in the chat if you're joining us, especially if you're visiting from another ethical society. Let us know, and um, if you want to share your message with everyone, please make sure that your settings um, are replying to all panelists and attendees. We'd all love to see your hellos and um, seeing you this morning. Good morning, Shirley. All right. Good morning, Vincent. Good morning, Robin. Got your coffee. All right. Got the Disney mug going. Hocus Pocus, too, coming soon. Um, good morning uh, to the Dakins and um, good morning from Brooklyn. All right. And uh, good morning, Susan, Walter, and B. It's uh, wonderful to see everyone joining us this morning. Good morning, Jeff. All right. Back in, uh, back a little closer from the wilds of Frederick County. There you go. Oh, happy birthday, Jeff. Wonderful. Leveling up to level 63. I love it. Um, good morning, Bill. And uh, let's see. Good morning, Maceo. <laughs> in the heights, that's great. <laughs> There's a few heights around. <clears throat> Um, I was, I'll mention this a few times as new folks join us, but uh, go ahead and as a reminder, pick um, all panelists and attendees if you're replying to messages, if you want us all to see it, we'd love to see your hellos and uh, welcome everyone this morning. We'll be waiting another minute or two before we get started. Good morning, Adam and Lily. Good morning, Sue. Good morning, Dave. All right, St. Louis, Missouri. All right. Okay, welcome. Uh, coming to the na coming to the neighborhood soon. And uh, good morning, Mark. I've got my coffee as well. Hope everyone has their either. It's it's a little hot out, a little humid here in the. DMV area in the DC area. So either your cool or warm beverage of choice this morning. All right. Um, this is a good time to get a candle to light during our candle lighting and then settle into a comfy seat and with your beverage of choice as we continue to gather. Good morning and welcome to the Washington Ethical Society. I'm Brian Fashigian. Today's platform is called Understanding Religion in the 21st Century by our own Peter Bishop. We have some opening music for you. By the still. 
I go to meet my guide. Truth restores my soul. I never walk alone. Where I face shadow, my heart will know no fear. Nothing can compare to peace that fills my soul. Love is all I need. My heart. Is filled with love. My cup is running over, over and over. From the moment that I rise to the time I lay me down, may I set my heart on sharing love. Beautiful from Leah. Welcome once again to the Washington Ethical Society. I am Brian Pashigian and my pronouns are he, him, and I am today's officiant. Visitors, we especially welcome you from near and far. We hope that you'll say hello in the chat and that you might send an email to our membership coordinator, Maceo Thomas, at Maceo, M-A-C-E-O-T, at ethicalsociety.org. You can also fill out a connection form. Maceo, put that link up in the chat. And we hope you'll join us after the platform service for a chance to say hello. Our chat will stay open through much of our platform service, closing for the address itself and then reopening. If you don't want to see the chat, this is a good time to minimize it and uh, get it out of your field of view. Each week, we 
ask a member of our community to read the statement of purpose so we might hear our shared values in each other's voices. If you're interested in taking a turn to read the statement of purpose, you can sign up at tiny.cc slash read SOP. I'll be reading it this morning. The Washington Ethical Society is a humanistic congregation that affirms the worth of every person. We strive through our relationships to elicit the best in the human spirit. With faith in human goodness, we appreciate each person's unique uh, capacities. We joyfully celebrate together and support each other through life. We nurture a sense of reverence and responsibility for each other and the earth. We warmly invite you to join our community of children and adults as we work for a world where love and justice cross all borders. If you have a candle at home, I invite you now to light it as I share our candle lighting words. May we kindle within us the warmth of compassion, the light of understanding, and the fire of commitment to build a brighter future for all. Each week we ring this chime in solidarity with people around the world. Today, I'm particularly mindful of those uh, recovery efforts of the storm Elsa that came through, especially in Florida where they were already in the process of working on the recovery of the condo collapse. Let us hold in our hearts all that hurts in the world. And let us commit ourselves to all ourselves and to all that calls for our work and our love. If you can, settle into a comfortable position, whatever that means for you and your body. We'll take a moment to breathe and center ourselves. Breathing in, holding our breath for a moment, and then exhaling together. As we breathe in, we try to breathe in and visualize all the positivity and support and love in this world. And as we exhale, letting go of all the stress, negativity and challenges that we face. As we breathe, let's visualize a scale. A scale that on one side is our focus, our mindful focus on the present. And on the other side are all the past regrets and concerns and future worries. We wanna bring that scale more into balance as we breathe. Oftentimes our past, the concerns we have and the stress from the future and the worry that we hold far outweigh our focus on the current moment. We wanna bring that scale into balance. 
We can't ignore the past and we can't forget about the future, but we wanna balance that with our attention and our feeling and our connection to the present moment as we experience together and bring it to our breath. Breathing in deeply and exhaling the negativity. One more breath, bringing in the positivity around us and our connections in this world. And as we exhale, feeling the support, the chair under our bodies, the ground below us, knowing that we're here together on this Sunday morning, spending some time with connection and community. Bringing that scale more into balance. We continue our meditation in silence and the music that follows. I'd like to now introduce 
Our speaker this morning, Peter Bishop. Peter is a former high-tech professional turned humanist philosopher and West member since 2009. Welcome, Peter. Yes, thank you, uh, Brian. Uh, I, I wanted to uh, start off by uh, telling people a little bit about uh, how I came to be a religious humanist and then uh, how I came to this particular subject as a humanist philosopher. So many current members of WES don't think that WES is, is as a religious organization. Furthermore, they really do not want to be a member of a religious organization. This is a tension within our tradition that I am very familiar with. I finally discovered that the source of the tension is that the nature of religion has been changing and that the way we understand religion is no longer useful. I became a humanist as a long computer, young computer science graduate student at MIT as I tried to sort out my own philosophy of life. Humanism was the tradition that believed what I believed. My mother had already started work on the Ode on Reason and Faith when I discovered organized humanism. This is a wonderful religious text for naturalistic humanism in the late 20th century. After writing my humanist creed, writing several humanist songs, and helping to organize the Sunday School for the Humanist Community of Silicon Valley, which had its own religious tax exemption, I knew that the philosophy of naturalistic humanism served me as a religion. The humanist community of Silicon Valley was at the center of training humanist leaders by certifying humanist counselors. I took this training, but soon found that some of the tasks they were training me to do were things that I did not want to do, not because I didn't think they were good, but just because I realized that I am not a clergy leader. I settled into organizational leadership of the humanist community, also achieving certification as a humanist advocate, allowing me to talk to members of the press about humanism. As an organizational leader, I founded NACHO, the Northern California Council of Humanist Organizations, bringing together congregations and groups from across all of the denominational boundaries of organized humanism, secular and religious humanist groups, humanistic Unitarian congregations, and humanistic Judaism groups. At the dawn of the 21st century, Daniel Dennett, author of Consciousness Explained, decided to write a book about religion, which he called Breaking the Spell. As a humanist, he wished to point out that religion is a natural phenomenon, and to explore it from that point of view. I met him while he was on his book tour for Breaking the Spell. He was declaring that religion was in the process of disappearing. When I told him that I didn't think it would disappear, he responded that it would either have to change or die. I told him that I thought it would change. A few years later, I decided to retire from my high-tech career and take up humanist philosophy for the purpose of understanding better organizations like the humanist community of Silicon Valley. I wanted to study under Rabbi Sherwin Wine, founder of humanistic Judaism, and in my opinion, a dynamic and significant leader of religious humanism in the late 20th century. When an opportunity to do this arose, it was due to Rabbi Sherwin Wine's recent death in a car accident. I was offered a position as webmaster and humanist philosopher for the International Federation for Secular and Humanistic Judaism under the leadership of Marvin Rosenblum. 
When I finally moved to Washington, D.C. in 2009, I discovered WES, which I considered to be a humanist megachurch after all of my searches and study. Finally, I could study a dynamic humanist clergy leader and the congregation she was leading as I began my work to understand religion better and how my religious humanism fit into the same category as other religious traditions, similar but also different. Each religious tradition has significant differences with all of the other religious traditions. Throughout my own career, I have always tried to understand my subject from first principles. So I decided to try to find the first principles for religion itself. I quickly realized that a significant element in these first principles was to recognize the difference between objective and subjective thinking. I shared these thoughts with Amanda Poppy shortly after joining Wes. For humanists, science is extremely important, but humanism is not science, especially not religious humanism. It is something else. I realized that understanding the difference between science and religion was the first key to understanding religious humanism. It wasn't long before I realized that in the debate over the theory of evolution, the religious people arguing against it were not playing by the rules of science. I concluded that they really did not care about science. They just thought that the theory of evolution threatened their own religious traditions. Although creationists claim to care about the laws of nature that cause things to happen, it became obvious to me that they don't care about this the same way that scientists care about it. What do creationists care about that cause them to violate fundamental principles of science? Why argue in this obviously flawed manner? Once I asked myself, what do scientists care about? I found I was on the right track. Scientists care about the laws of nature that cause things to happen. These laws of nature are outside of us. To advance science, we improve our objective thinking about the phenomena outside of us and stop caring about what we want. Religious people who dispute evolution do not do this. What do they care about and why do they care about it? Those religious people who dispute the theory of evolution do so because their beliefs are inconsistent with modern science. They resist changing their beliefs because these beliefs guide them as they live their lives. Their religious beliefs help them feel better, especially in times of crisis, but they also help them discover what is good. Once I realized this, I could recognize the same thing in religious traditions that do not dispute the theory of evolution. All of the recognizable activities of a religious group are directed to helping people live from a subjective point of view. Religions work hard to relieve suffering by helping people feel enough better so they can return to their daily work. One of the most traumatic subjective events in a human life is when a child dies before reaching adulthood. It is particularly traumatic when the child is in the process of finally becoming an adult. Prior to the mid 20th century, there were many causes of such deaths that scientists did not know the natural laws that caused them. In order to, to live subjectively, people demanded to know why their loved one was taken. The church got into the business of explaining such questions to help people live from a subjective point of view. Science finally reached the point at about the middle of the 20th century 
when it could explain the natural laws that caused most deaths, especially of children. Religion changes slowly, so this revolution in our environment is still reverberating throughout religion and is causing greater challenges for traditional religions. Religions also claim to provide the basis for what is good and the difference between right and wrong. This is where humanists reject most religious traditions. Our tradition has a completely different basis for deciding what is good and deciding the difference between right and wrong. These concepts help us decide what actions we will take, a key function of subjective life. Einstein reminded us in 1944 that science does not study what is right and wrong because science studies what is and not what ought to be. Einstein confirmed as the most famous scientist of the earliest, early 20th century that you cannot derive an ought from an is. Humanism has decided to declare science to be the proper way to study the world outside of us and to take all of this knowledge further than science can go and find what are good uses for our scientific discoveries and when we must control our technologies to limit their damage. In my struggle to distinguish religion from science, I developed a very nice description of religion that I felt did a wonderful job of describing the difference. Religion forms congregations of people for the purpose of helping people to live from a subjective point of view. Celebrations of significant life events enhance our subjective lives and help us build strength both in families and the congregation. If all religions are about helping people to live from a subjective point of view, then it should be easy to translate statements in one religious tradition into all other religious traditions. As I talked to Unitarians about the discomfort I felt from the language in some Unitarian congregations, they told me that they agreed with my discomfort, but that they just translated. I was familiar with how annoying many atheists are to religious people because discussions between them often talk past each other as religious people try to talk about subjective life, but atheists talk about scientific facts. When I realized this, it helped me to talk to people from other religious traditions. Even when they would insist that they were quarreling with science, I would try to figure out what they were saying about subjective life. I discovered that I could respond to them using primarily psychological terms to talk about subjective life and religious people would not think I was talking past them. They could understand what I was saying about subjective life. We might still argue since we disagreed about how to live from a subjective point of view, but at least we knew what we were talking about. The stories in a religious tradition are primarily used as many humanists use fiction to tell a story about subjective life from which we can extract some good lessons about how to live from a subjective point of view. We see how Lynn Cox has been using actual fictional stories in this way with us. There is no need to declare their literal truth. The question is, do they illustrate truths about subjective life? The clergy person ensures that the answer to this question is yes, because it is the clergy person that is explaining the lessons be drawn from the story. When I finally read the talk in which Unitarians declared themselves to be Unitarians, I was surprised to see that Unitarian leaders were not arguing for what the correct theology was. 
Instead, they said that the members of their congregations were telling them that the Bible did not support the idea of the Trinity, so they did not want to hear about the Trinity. Thus, theology arises from the individual and the congregation up to the denomination among Unitarians. As we look at the structure of society, we see the family as the smallest organizational unit of society. The congregation is the next organizational unit with a demand for the congregation to be able to provide ethical and religious instruction for the children of the families. This is consistent with an organization that helps support the subjective lives of its adults. For children, public school is the next step away from the family, but it is so multicultural that it cannot teach religious principles. It has taken religious humanism a long time to come to such a clear definition of religion that enables groups like WES to be recognized as religious organizations, but to be acceptable to our members who reject rel traditional religion. Felix Adler was correct in his criticism of the humanism of the late 19th and early 20th centuries. It was too individualistic. Adler did a great job of identifying some of the critical functions for a, for a religion that was completely consistent with science. We have now learned how to bring in questions of belief into a congregation in which we still insist that questions of belief are settled by the individual. By talking more about subjective life rather than belief, we can find teachings that are independent of any specific belief and foster a congregation in which we meet to seek the highest, in which we each make our own decisions about ethics and how to live our lives, but in which we can talk to each other about things that inform and assist our own thinking on these matters. I've come to understand that the standard definitions of religion are wrong. There were definitions that described pre-scientific Western religions. In our diverse society of today, we need a new definition that is more accurate and universal and that can help us understand and improve our own religious humanism and ethical culture. The new definition needs to also describe fundamental societal structures and functions of religion, not just identify common beliefs and practices. Although, especially among free thinkers, religion has sometimes been very individualistic and personal, we do not arrive at a social structure until a religion forms congregation. Identifying the purpose of a congregation as being to assist its members to live from a subjective point of view seems to me to be much more accurate than other definitions I have been aware of. This definition helps distinguish secular humanist groups from religious humanist groups because the secular groups are less concerned with helping members live from a subjective point of view. They remain much more in the objective world. Secular groups sometimes struggle with what distinguishes them from other non-religious, non-profit groups. My definition distinguishes religious humanism from other non-religious, non-profit groups. As the humanist community of Silicon Valley, we did not have a platform. We had a forum, which was followed by nearly one half hour of questions for the speaker who would then answer the questions. 
If anyone would like to ask me questions to hear my answers, I invite you to join me in the coffee hour. Thank you. Thank you, Peter. Now I'd like to, um, this is a time when we can add our own voices to the morning, sharing some of the reflections to the platform or what resonates in our own lives. I invite you to share in the Zoom chat or Facebook, uh, excuse me, the Zoom chat. And using this framing question, um, how has your philosophy faith evolved since the turn of the century? I'll do the best I can to uh, read any comments. And um, like Peter said, we'll share some comments now. And um, once the chat has been um, re-enabled, and then uh, we'll save questions for Peter for the coffee hour, which would be great. Uncertainty is stinging clear And I can't help but ask myself How much I let the fear take the wheel and steer It's driven me before And it seems to have a pain Haunting mass See how versatile with every step music. I we'll get this uh, we'll get it fixed, don't worry. Love is all I need. 
Just give us a moment. My heart is filled with love. My cup is running over, over and over from. came out when I was in high school and my little sister who is six years younger than I am and I used to sing that uh, in our Ford Aerostar I would drive <laughs> I would drive and Joy would sing the harmonies with me yeah whatever tomorrow brings I'll be there All right. <laughs> we especially didn't want to miss, miss the finish of that song. Well, thank you to Peter and Leah. And thank you to everyone uh, staying flexible with us this morning. That's what makes it fun on a Sunday morning. Um, so now I'm, I'm going to try to get some of the comments out that we've been writing and I appreciate. Um, so just give me a moment on that. And uh, like Peter said, we'll we'll read some comments now and then love to invite folks to our coffee hour for um, further discussion and questions for Peter. And thank you to Peter for opening himself up for that. All right. Um, let's see. Uh, folks sharing uh, very thoughtful, Peter. Thank you, uh, Johnny and Wayne. And um, uh, Aaron saying, sharing uh, religion is a way of life. Adam is 10,000% here for Leah doing Incubus. And uh, same with uh, Judy. <laughs> um, Maceo, great question. Great summary, Peter. As a scientific kid growing up in a Baptist family, I recognize the stories of the Bible and in Marvel comics were both based through views of how people had to understand the great universe that was so far beyond our understanding. And having shared stories and rituals, which will be great which would be a great way to unite people. Congregations are a way to connect people to some shared beliefs, values, and history. I love the piece you added, Peter, about how early you use came up from people connecting together. Walter shares, oh, excuse me, Susan shares, thank you, Peter. I studied the human sciences, philosophies, and subjectivity for 10 years in the 2000s. It changed my perspectives a lot. Shayla uh, shared, I was raised Catholic. Then in 2000, I read Ishmael by Daniel Quinn, which started to change my thinking. Then I spent three years in the Islamic Republic of Martania, Tanya, sorry, um, and which got me thinking even more. By 2007, my thinking had evolved to where I considered myself an atheist. Then 2012, I found West and felt an immediate connection. Paul Baker it, uh, sharing, it may be important to say that subjective refers to, to, so, uh, to something in the mind 
Equally, we need to recognize that only our mind or something as complex can marvel at the manner in which simple physical laws develop into life, history, art, and literature. It is all one, which is the magic. And Aaron sharing, anime has a modern way of cultivating humans also. I really appreciate all these comments this morning. I, I uh, It's got me thinking too. And um, oh, I got Vincent here sharing. We'll maybe do one or two more um, comments and then I look forward to our time in coffee hour and having more of a discussion with Peter. Peter, I liked your statements about translating. I find when I talk to religious people and translate into my own language, I better understand, especially when I'm able to not concentrate on the particular words they use, but concentrate more on the meaning of the thought they were trying to get across. Absolutely. Um, all right, we'll uh, we'll end it there. So we um, have a couple more things for this morning. Um, a couple important things too. Um, Share the plate, all right, just as we share our perspectives in this community. So too do we share our resources and gifts. Here at West, we split the Sunday collection between our operating budget and a fund dedicated to justice and compassion. We appreciate each person's generous giving as they are able. This month, half of the offering is dedicated to No Child Goes Hungry. And I want to introduce um, Karin Rasmussen to discuss No Child Goes Hungry. Some of you may Remember, Karen, from um, years past. Good morning, everybody. And if we haven't met yet, I'm Reverend Karen Rasmussen. It is so good to be with you this morning and so good to see everybody. I'm a UU minister, but also the founder and director of my own nonprofit, No Child Goes Hungry. No Child Goes Hungry is a 501c3, and my business model is unique but simple. I do the fundraising and then I give grants and seed money in a variety of ways for communities to eliminate childhood hunger locally. I provide the seed money to help get grassroots programs started or boost other programs. And I also offer mentoring. It's unbelievable, isn't it? Simply unbelievable that any kid ever goes hungry and yet it happens every day. But my guess is that you know that Recently, the Washington Post ran an article on the front page about hunger right now in our country. With the pandemic and the huge increase in need, I've really needed to pivot and to partner and to shift how I get funds and food to the people and the places that need it. And even though we are slowly coming out of the pandemic, the need is still so great. The teachers and social workers and staffs in our school systems have found that so many parents are still out of work or struggling working several badly paid jobs just to get food. Let me give you an example of the numbers. When I started in 2016 until January of 2020, I gave out 15 grants a year on average. Wes has received two grants from me. I thought that 15 a year was pretty darn good except for some of the social media. I'm pretty much a one woman nonprofit who works out of her home. Then 2020 hit, and last year, wait for it, I gave out 73 grants, five times what I normally do in a year, and I've already sent out 51 this year with more in the wings. Where I used to get two or three applications a week, I now get that in a day. 
So how have I pivoted to get out so much? So to so many during the pandemic? Well, just as our congregations have worked hard and fast to adapt, so have the school systems and the nonprofits all over the country. I've partnered with new and different groups and individuals and brainstormed with them how to first get the food. You have to find the food first and then how to deliver it to them. Here's just a couple of examples. No Child Goes Hungry helps to feed um, programs in schools, both locally and in several other states who can't get access to the free and reduced lunch programs. I've sponsored the Loop Elementary School on the First Nation Reservation outside of Flagstaff, Arizona. Talk about kids who have absolutely nothing. I've also helped with organization that repurpose food from grocery stores and restaurants to get food to those in need. I've helped with groups in DC and Maryland and Virginia and all over really. I've sponsored school gardens and planting projects and the refurbishing of refrigerators. So when groups can actually find the food, especially in cities, they can store it in a refrigerator and people can come by for free and get what they need. I just partnered with All Souls in New York and their food program and their community refrigerators. I've partnered with All Souls in DC and in the past I've partnered with you too. But let me end by talking about little free pantries. They're little free libraries. They're like little free libraries, but for food. Before the pandemic, I had sponsored two, two pantries. Since the pandemic sponsored, I have, since the pandemic, I've sponsored 43 more pantries all over the country. And I could tell you a story about each and every one. I've done a lot of work recently helping with the local summer school feeding and snack programs. We often see in here that kids get a bag of food to help over the weekend and end up sharing it with the smaller kids in their home. They just try to have enough food to go around. Many families locally have doubled up in homes to save rent and share expenses, and that means there's more kids in one house. I'll close by saying 100% of your donation goes to feeding kids. I don't take a salary for this ministry. Wes has been so supportive of No Child Goes Hungry, and I appreciate all that you do. Thank you, and let's go feed some kids. Thank you, Karen. On the slide, you'll see the number to give by text for today's collection, 202-335-1885. And uh, it's as easy as uh, sending a quick text if you have that set up. I just uh, took care of mine. And uh, we want to um, now receive your gifts and the musicians' gifts of music. Thank you. 
Thank you so much to the many people who helped create this morning's time together. Our speaker, Peter Bishop, interim uh, music coordinator, Leah Morris. Thank you to Maceo Thomas, our membership coordinator. Thank you to Robin Kravitz for communication support and our slide artists, John and Abby Dakin. Anyone who'd like to join the slide creation team, please contact Robin. Thanks to tech host, John Lika. And thank you to those who are leading and supporting our work in the weeks to come. At the conclusion of Platform, please join us for a virtual coffee hour. Once we're in the Zoom coffee hour space, we'll divide into breakout groups, which you're welcome to drift in and out to as you can meet and greet different people. To get to the coffee hour after closing words, point your browser to tiny.cc slash westcoffeehour, and we'll make sure we have that in the chat. Just a reminder that it's, um, uh, not we're not going to stay here, and this um, this meeting will close, and then we'll switch over to the coffee hour. We have opportunities for West members and friends to to connect virtually during the week, including support meetings and discussion groups. You can find the details for that and all other events on our website calendar at ethicalsociety.org. Finally, thank you for being here with us. Now let's enjoy together our closing song of the month, performed by West Chorus Rick Mastin's. Let it be a dance. invite you to join me in our closing words for the month.
Let us go into the week ahead with compassion, understanding, and commitment, growing in dedication to our values, for our hearts, and for our quest for a better world. Thank you all again. And also, uh, I see your note there, Jennifer. Uh, thanks also to Perry Bider for his beautiful music this morning. Again, please join us for a virtual coffee hour. You can find the link on the slide or in the chat. And if you're a new community to our community, we'd love you to be in touch and uh, please send an email to our membership coordinator, Maceo Thomas, and introduce yourself if you're interested. And we look forward to having continuing the conversation together in a forum that we can all chat and spend some time. So we'll be closing this meeting, head on over for the coffee hour. And um, let's see, any other questions or comments? Great. All right. We'll see you there. Take care, folks.